0: Hello, my name is Colin Donnell, and you're listening to Episode 8 of The Run Loop, a weekly discussion about designing and developing iOS and Mac apps. Today's guest is Greg Pierce. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Pretty
1: good. It's a sunny, hot day in Texas, and uh, I'm enjoying the air conditioning.
0: That's good. It's... uh, it's probably fifty seven and cloudy in San Francisco, because it's always about fifty seven and cloudy in San Francisco.
1: <laughs> I suppose that's an advantage of living there
0: uh, you know, yeah the way i would I like to describe San Francisco is that it's almost always kind of just mildly unpleasant. Hmm. like it's never like it's it's very rarely like super nice here, but it's almost never like bad cold here. It's always right in that, like it would be nice if it was slightly warmer. Yeah. So, Greg, how would people know you?
1: Um. Well, I, I mean, obviously, I've been developing in the uh, Apple ecosystem. That's why you're interested in talking to me. My company's Agile Tortoise, which I originally founded as a consulting company in, uh, you know, the late uh, aughts around 2006, mm-hmm. and I slowly worked my way into iOS development uh, when the App Store came out, and that's pretty much what I do full-time now. Uh, The app I'm probably best known for is Drafts, uh, which is a note-taking and automation app that's focused on kind of quickly capturing text and sending it off anywhere. But I've done some other apps over the years, a reference app called Terminology, a Contacts app called Interact, uh, and a couple other
0: utilities, and Mm -hmm. and even a game. (laughs) So, that's cool. That's a lot of things that you've done. So, when you started in two thousand six with um, Agile Tortoise, two things: one, where did the name come from? Um, it, I could say it's random. It's not really. I've always had a
1: thing for turtles. There, you know, I kind of collect turtle trinkets, and uh, I have a turtle tattooed on my arm and stuff. So. You know it is a symbol in a lot of folklore that I look up to you know kind of a symbol of wisdom and and patience and stuff so I wanted something that incorporated that and uh in the search for domain names and whatnot I thought that agile made a good uh bit of an idiosyncratic pairing with the Uh tortoise and had software connotations and whatnot so just seemed like a good fit
0: It works. I haven't forgotten it since the first time I heard it. And it's been several years now. So it worked.
1: I've never had trouble grabbing the username on a new service or anything. It's uh, worked out pretty good.
0: (laughs) That's good. Um, So you said when you started doing Agile Tortoise, it was consulting and then you moved into uh, iOS later. So obviously in 2006, there, uh, you know, there was no iPhone yet. So what kind of what kind of consulting were you doing then?
1: Originally, I was doing a combination of enterprise software stuff on Microsoft Platforms, .NET, and, and Ruby on Rails. Uh, I was mm-hmm. probably split about half and half. I had done a lot of web development uh, prior to that. I, I was big and active with the, usually on Frontier community in the late 90s, and uh, um, so web stuff was mostly my forte. Uh, mm-hmm. But the enterprise stuff also paid the bills pretty well at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. so um so that's interesting. so you so you didn't you weren't doing Mac software or anything when uh, when when the iPhone SDK came out was actually when you started doing like Coco at all then
1: uh, sort of yes, I had played around with web objects and I actually shipped a shareware Mac game in the late nineties. That was just kind of a fun side project. Um, so it's something I had always been toying with. Uh, uh-huh. I, I was not a Mac guy until the mid nineties. Uh, my dad was a light lifer with IBM. So we always had, I mean, we had Apple two in the house, but then once the PCs came out, uh, we were a PC household and it wasn't till, I had used them at work. I had been doing a lot of design work and things like that. I didn't have my own until I finally threw up in my hands at disgust at the Windows ninety five install process and said, mm-hmm. "I'm done with this." And went out and bought a Power Mac seventy two hundred and never looked
0: back. Was that a good one? It was a pretty good. It was a
1: pretty good solid machine. It was one of the last uh, flat. You know, not uh, a tower, but a uh, uh, flat models and. Uh, yeah, where you put the monitor on top. Right. The pizza box. a 90 megahertz uh, Motorola processor in it.
0: Yeah. I, I just asked that because I um, it seems like in the mid 90s, Apple was releasing a lot of computers with a, a name and, um, you know, a four digit number or something behind it. Right. And I, 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 uh, I, I just think it's funny because they all seem sort of nondescript when you hear them now, right?
1: yeah, the Quadra line and the Performa line. And you know, it's a very confusing array of computers.
0: It was a confusing time for a lot of people. <laughs> so you were mentioning that the the app that people uh, would probably know you the best for. And I think what I was probably first familiar uh, with you for was uh, an app called Drafts, which is a, like you said, is a text entry and automation app. But it's it's kind of a weird app. I mean, like in a good way, though, uh, in that like it's sort of the only thing that I know of in its category, but people really love it. Uh, so maybe we could go into what that is and how you thought of that. And Sure. Uh, I mean, the niche
1: that Drafts attempts to fill is the capture uh, niche. It, it wants to be uh, the first place you type something into, regardless of what you're going to do with it. Uh And I mean, my origin story for drafts is really uh, pretty straightforward. You know, one day I was sitting there with my iPhone and I started to type an email to my wife and I got most of the way through it. And this was back, you know, on iOS or back on iOS three or something. And there were less convenient ways to do a lot of things. And I realized that what I was telling her was more urgent and I really needed to send it as a text, not an email. Uh And. That process was kind of painful. You know, I had to go select the text. I had to copy it. I had to go quit that email app and go launch messages and address a message to her and paste the text into it. And that was just too many pain points. And I thought, well, what I really need is someplace to put the text first before I decide what I'm going to do with it. And that was Mm -hmm. the basic seed of what Drafts is. And over time, it's grown and it can send text messages. It can be configured to have pre Find recipients. It can uh, send things to Twitter, to Facebook. It can save to files, append to files in Dropbox and Google Drive. So, more or less, it's where you start to type something into your phone that is eventually going to go somewhere else. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: But it it's just kind of gives you that one entry point that, and it's, you know, for capturing ideas and processing them later, too. It's your quick place to jot down an idea in the middle of the night and put the phone away and worry about where it needs to be later. Um, and that's kind of the ditch that it's served for most people. And I think the people who love it have customized it somewhat so that, you know, there's 10 actions that they just use all the time. And, uh, yeah, it relieves the burden of having to fiddle around with apps and find the right place to put things.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, the people that I've seen that really, I mean, I, I like it. I have it on my phone. But uh, the people that I've seen who really, uh, you know, rave about it and love it seem to be like kind of the GTD crowd. Right. Uh, and you're, you, you know, you were talking about capture and like the first place, you know, so capture, right, is the first step in GTD. Uh, did you come from it from like a GTD background at all? Like, because you're using that terminology, I was wondering, like, did that exist when you started it? Or were you just like, I just want to make a place to put text? And then like, you sort of like pick that up later.
1: Um, You know, I read GTD. And thinking back, I can't really recall if it was before or after Drafts came around, probably before. I mean, it was definitely, I'm not a efficient productivity kind of guy. It's something I aspire to, but uh, constantly get bogged down in You know, I don't keep OmniFocus all up to date and fancy uh, with all my contexts and stuff because I found it somewhat burdensome to do so. And I think it's something everybody who does a lot of things struggles with what the best system for them is. But it it definitely that capture piece fits that philosophy. And I think it's a lot of wide drafts took hold and found an audience the way it did.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that's interesting, though, too. It sounds like a lot of the features, you know, because it's a pretty big, I mean, it does a lot now. And it seems like a lot of the features that you um, were talking about, were maybe, uh, you know, kind of added, you know, it it it's evolved over several versions now. So maybe it was simpler in the beginning, and it's kind of grown.
1: Yeah. I mean, when the first version came out, kind of some of the reviews called it things like, you know, uh, post-it notes for your phone or whatever, because it it was that thing, place to jot a sentence down or, or an idea and, and not have to think about process so much. Mm-hmm. Get it out of your head, which is that GTD capture philosophy.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I wanna, I'm going to skip ahead in my notes here a little bit uh, because I feel like drafts is actually probably the most uh, what inspired this other thing I want to talk to you about, which is the uh, X callback URL, mm-hmm. which you came up with.
1: Correct. Uh, and the, I mean, the. well, first of all, what it is, is it, it's a specification for formatting URLs for apps on iOS, because mm-hmm. from the early days, we really haven't had good ways to pass information back and forth between apps the way you can on a Mac or on other platforms because of the iOS's sandbox nature. So people started using URLs for that purpose, um, to send parameters on a URL and open an app. Um, but everybody was doing it in a different way, and it was kind of painful. The people who were experimenting with it all came up with their own method for formatting those. And then when you went to integrate with them, you, they were maybe not well-documented, or it wasn't clear what you could and couldn't do with them. Um, so. I kind of wanted to find a way to make that easier for apps to talk to one another. Um, and it, it was a combination. I I blogged about it and around the same time, Marco Arment blogged about it and the original implementation, the first to ship to the store of X callback around the time the spec was put out was between Instapaper and terminology, my dictionary app, Mm -hmm. the purpose of it being, to be able to select a word in Instapaper and look it up in the dictionary. Because at the time, there was no system dictionary. There was no uh, you know, way to do that. So it was nice for an integration that also allowed you to then go right back to Instapaper where you were because I would pop up a you know, go back button. Mm-hmm. Also, before iOS was nice enough to do that up in the top left corner. <laughs> I don't remember if that came with iOS 7 or iOS 8, where they started. Doing that,
0: um, I think it might have just been last year. It might have been like ten. Yeah, it, it was pretty year. recent. It's yeah. pretty recent. Yeah. Um, so that was the
1: inspiration for that. And Marco worked on the spec as well. He kind of was my reading my drafts and uh, and all. Uh. And then once we got it out there, it was you know started to see some adoption between other apps, and it became clear that that was something I wanted to do with drafts when I wrote drafts. And that was some of the first customization you could do was create actions that fired off URLs with the content of your draft to let uh-huh. you send it off to other apps uh, and, and do whatever they could do with it.
0: So, so that's interesting because I, because I was thinking, you know, cause drafts is sort of like an automation based, you know, big part of it. Uh, is I had assumed that X callback URL had uh, you know come out of necessity for drafts specifically, uh, but I guess I got the timeline wrong a little bit there. It seems like you just sort of came up with it out of just this is a thing that needs to exist on the system, like in general.
1: Right. It it was it it was you know for me it at the time i didn't have drafts my main app was terminology a dictionary app there was not a system dictionary and it seemed natural to be providing a service you know with that app and to mm-hmm. get integrations with others which is why i started talking to marco about it and and stuff uh and it was a natural flow from there once i started to establish that to say well what else could we do with these uh you know what urls uh could other apps implement? And I, you know, I have not probably been the best advocate for the spec. In the early days, I did a pretty good job of reaching out to, uh, you know, other apps that I thought would benefit from implementing and Uh kind of help give them a nudge in that direction. Uh, But over time, I really ever since the beginning of it, it was never meant to be a long-term solution to the problem. We really, you know, I had always hoped Apple's going to give us a better way to do this, uh, and it's just never come. And maybe we're at the point that they're taking that seriously with the workflow acquisition, and uh, um, you know, we will see something in iOS 12 or whatever where we have a more locked down way of uh, interacting between apps. And we've you know seen moves in that direction with extensions and mm-hmm. and, and stuff, but. Uh, you know, I was always hoping that this invention of mine would be Sherlocked, uh, which is not something developers often hope for.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you about is, you know, where you see, you know, like they've added, uh, you know, extensions and some of these other things, which have been, you know, like workflow, for example, right. Takes advantage of a lot of that stuff to do what it does. Um, and uh, so what, yeah, what do you see of the, as the state of iOS automation? It seems like you're still pretty, you feel like something like X callback, you're like, that still needs to exist. Like, we're not beyond that point.
1: We're not beyond that point yet, because there's no, uh, I think in, in the ultimate world, we'll get to a point where there's a way to provide a service with an app and consume a service with another app without necessarily having to launch the other app and have the user's screen flip over to that app. Um, you know, it would be really nice if there was a way to provide a programmatic service that, you know, maybe the first time you, for sandboxing purposes, you know, the user gets a dialogue that pops up and says, would you like app A to be able to access the services of app B? Yes or no. Um, and once you've accepted that, maybe somebody can from another app, make a call that creates a draft and drafts without having to launch the app and then call another URL to jump back to it. Uh I mean, it's super impressive what workflow can do and, uh, and all, but the integration with different apps on it with X callback is always somewhat fragile. There are things that can interrupt that process. Uh, you know, be it the user hitting the home button or whatever, there are things where you can't really be sure if something completed successfully or you know could follow through the next flow. And I hate for that to be what people have to rely on for productivity. And also, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of these things on YouTube or something where people have chained together these fancy workflows, and then you go and launch it, and you sit there and watch your screen for five or 10 seconds flip back and forth between 10 apps, and that's not a good user experience. (laughs) That's not really what anybody wants, uh, just to be able to uh, send a photo or some text somewhere to another app, you know. So hopefully we'll get to the point that that can be done in some sort of automated programmatic way
0: yeah, absolutely I uh, you know, like you mentioned uh, you know Apple acquired workflow probably a couple months ago now and um, it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know if they're planning on you know what they're gonna do with that, you know like if that's you know what the reason for that was and what that means because it does feel like you know, we're going to be on the 12th version of this operating system next year, right? Like, it seems like uh, it's time for more of that stuff to exist, mm-hmm. but um, not this year. No,
1: not this year. But, I mean, we're getting all sorts of other goodies, especially for the iPad. And for for that, sure. As a platform moving forward, it would be great if there were some more powerful ways to interact between apps. Absolutely. I mean, even just within your own apps and, you know, creating a suite of apps from your own, from one vendor and stuff, it would be nice to be able to have some level of trust and uh, services that could work together without having to go out to the cloud.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think that we know, like, there's, you know, like, the the underpinnings are there, right? Like, with, um, you know, inter-process communication kind of stuff and whatever, uh, like, a lot of the underpinnings are there that you would think they would need to do to make Better inter-app stuff work, but it, they just haven't, uh, you know, exposed a lot of that on iOS yet.
1: Right. And it's only a matter of time as it matures. I'm sure they have plans for that. And I'm sure that the, the people from the workflow team that, that joined Apple, I imagine, be concentrating on some of those areas. So
0: it's mm-hmm.
1: exciting because I think th- it opens up a lot of opportunities for everybody.
0: Absolutely. So we were ta- we talked a little bit about um you know your first app I guess was uh this was terminology right which is a dictionary and thesaurus app uh and research that you've done a few versions of now right yes it's um, up to
1: version 4 and that was my first app that anybody would ever have heard of or used i had two apps before that which were one was a very small niche app that uh for a hobby called letterboxing, which was just kind of my first experiment with the app store. And then I did another app that was an utter and complete failure that was only in the store for about a year. Mm -hmm. So there were trials and tribulations along the way.
0: Yeah, I thought it was funny at some point. uh, This is years ago when we talked about this, but I think you had kind of mentioned that you had, uh, you know, you, you had, I thought, said something like you were you had used terminology as sort of like your, um, your test bed with like the iCloud syncing and stuff because you're like, well, Drafts is like my big app, so I don't want to put it in there first, right? And uh, you talked about like that you'd done like when the whole like core data iCloud sync thing was a thing. I remember that you'd actually implemented that in there. I think it was one of the only apps I knew that, uh, you know, people talked about using that and that it seemed like it worked okay. Why are you dredging up these horrible memories? <laughs> I know, right? Our, our, I guess, so iCloud Core Data Sync still exists, right? But I guess we're supposed to forget it exists now?
1: Yeah, it is officially deprecated, but it does still work. Oh, it? it It does still work. I think they deprecated it when CloudKit came out. Um, and it does still work. Uh, terminology up until the 4, much I know. 4.0 release... Uh, earlier this year was still using it and it had a lot of issues, but it mostly kind of, they've got it, they got it to the point that it, you know, mostly kind of worked. <laughs> well, that sounds good. It's just what it did fail. You had no way of really knowing what was going on or anything to do to fix it. So, uh, that was frustrating.
0: So you've, uh, yeah, shows how much I know though. Cause I actually never used core data, uh, that myself because all the apps I've been writing, uh, rely on custom web services so I haven't really had an opportunity to use uh CloudKit or Core Data syncing but uh so you did you switch terminology to using uh CloudKit then? Yes. That's cool. So what what do you think of that?
1: Oh, I love it. I mean, Drafts has been using CloudKit since day 1 um and the first 4 or 5 months of CloudKit uh right after iOS 8 came out, we're very painful, and <clears> it was just kind of growing pains. It was the new service, and some of the problems weren't necessarily with the cloud kit backend itself, but iCloud in general, uh, authentication layer issues and stuff that uh, were were problematic. But they smoothed all that out, and uh, you know, I really haven't had a glitch with CloudKit in the past year and a half uh, or t- two years, really. Uh, it's solid as long as the code you write to integrate with it is solid. Um, you know, if you yeah, because it's it, it's completely transparent. Unlike the iCloud core data stuff, where you don't have any idea what's going on. CloudKit is essentially a web service. You you try to put something in the cloud, and it comes back and tells you, "Yay, I did it," or "Nope, I couldn't do it, and here's why." Uh, so you always know for sure if something succeeded or failed and as long as you have that layer of transparency you, you know you can you can do more or less anything with it and i think it's been a benefit for users there's limitations to being on iCloud but the fact that i don't have to have a separate sign in the fact that their data is private is a big deal to me i'm you know i was never excited about apps that use services like well parse when it was around or some of these other sync services where know the developer basically has complete access to your data you know and if you're running a service like that's essentially public data like you know Yelp or something that's not a big deal but if you're running a note-taking app people have a lot of potentially private or uh, you know data in there that a developer shouldn't have access to Um, so it's kind of nice from my point of view and relieves. I think it's good for the users and good from my point of view that uh, I don't have some web service sitting around somewhere storing that uh, potentially sensitive data and having to worry about the encryption and the security and stuff, which is not easy stuff these days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who, um, you know, I pretty much, you know, I've done like web projects, like for myself, just like for fun, Uh, you know, and a little bit at work, but mostly, you know, I've just been doing, you know, iOS and Mac apps for the past, you know, almost 10 years now. And uh, when I think about a side project or something I want to do where, you know, I would be storing other people's data like that, it's a little bit stressful for me mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because of everything you just said. I'm like, oh, now you're responsible for all these people's stuff and you need to keep it safe and you need to, you know, uh, not, you know, mess it up in some way. Um and that—that's definitely a little, you know, iCloud, uh, you know, cloud kit definitely alleviates some of that, right?
1: Yeah, and I'm not having to run a server. Um, I mean, obviously, there's different ways to approach it. There's other services you could use where that burden isn't on you. But uh, I—I've run server servers. I've been the responsible administrator for for companies and large web services, and it's not it, not a stress I want day to day.
0: You know? yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely, and a lot of those, you know, a lot of those services also are pr- get pretty expensive. It seems like.
1: Yeah, they can. Uh, if you start to scale up on them, it can get uh, intrusive quickly. And I think that with iCloud, it's a good match for drafts for a number of reasons, and it might not be for some other more asset-heavy type of apps. I mean, obviously, the the user's subject to their five gig limit or or whatever and I'm just storing little bits of text and they're not going to really notice that against their limit if you have a service that's dealing with photos or things like that you potentially you know have a burden there where you're going to have to tell your users that they got to start to pay Apple or uh, not have enough storage space and those are you know different kind of issues for different apps but
0: yeah, I, I had heard somebody say it, maybe on some podcast I can't remember where now, but uh, the, what you said about young know, people hitting their five gig limit or something. And um, it it just kind of got me thinking, it's sort of, you know, like Dropbox and uh, whoever does, you know, the like, here's how many dollars for how many gigabytes or whatever. And it actually sort of seems like when Apple decided they were going to do their version of that, right, that it's sort of surprising that they they stuck with that model to me now that I thought about it. Of that it's so, um, you know, like, uh, they're the company that wanted to, like, get rid of the file system and stuff. And I was thinking, like, there has to be a better way to abstract that away where, like, maybe people don't really need to know how much they're storing, but you can make sure it's enough, you know? And Mm I don't know. Does that make any sense? Like, it seems weird to me that they're actually, like, here's this many, you know, they're, they're competing with, that they chose to, like, compete with Dropbox and Google Drive and those things, like, on their terms instead of on... You know, changing the framing, if you know what I mean.
1: Right. I mean, I think it's surprising that they haven't made more adjustments to their offerings there. I mean, I, a lot of people have discussed this and dealt with the ins and outs, I suppose. But it is surprising like that backups count against that five gig. I mean, that should be something that I feel like they provide as a service, or at least provide enough free space that a user can actually back up the device they buy from you. You know, if they have a 64 gig iPhone, they should be able to back that up to your iCloud service without paying you a fee. It would be nice. I think Apple has enough uh, cash to (laughs) make that a good user experience. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, I already bought your $700 phone, right? Uh, you, You would think that you could you could somehow work this in, but, uh, I guess not. Uh, yeah. So there must be something I'm missing. Um, so, uh, talking about your apps, you also, so you, you do another app called interact, which is a, like, have a contacts management and, um, way to deal with contacts app, right?
1: Yes, correct.
0: Um, so m- maybe talk, o- so I want to ask you about that. You recently, uh, you know, have gotten into writing Mac apps, and that you have an app called Interact Scratchpad, maybe we should talk about what Interact is exactly first so that makes more sense.
1: Right, well Interact came about as one of those opportunistic apps when uh, Apple announced the Contacts Framework at, at WWDC two years ago, I guess, one year, yeah, two years ago. Um, I said, well, this is this is great because the previous address book APIs were were awful. And there's, and there's some big holes in what you can do with contacts on iOS in the built-in app. Um, and I wanted to address two, two of those items. One was managing groups and I wanted to, I mean, it was a scratching and itch of my own, but, uh, I like to use contact groups. I mean, I create groups on my Mac all the time for things like all the contacts associated with an upcoming trip or, um, the takeout restaurants I, you know, need the numbers of regularly or things like that. And there was no way to manage those on iOS, which was frustrating. And the other two features I wanted were better ways to communicate uh, with people in those groups. Uh, so Interact on iOS has uh, what I call the context, but it's a way to grab a group of attachments from document providers and select contacts and send them, you know, group messages or emails, uh, quickly and easily. So mm-hmm. there's a, there's a number of group text apps out there that let you set up lists, which are great if you have predefined lists, but I often have arbitrary things that I need to say, I'm going to send this. I'm going I see something I want to text to three friends of mine. They're not, uh, uh, it's an ad hoc group. You know? I don't want to add them as a group and set them up because I'm not going to text these three people something all that often. But I see something uh, out somewhere that made me think of them, and I want to send it to them. It's just a quick, easy way to, to grab a few contacts and send off text. And the other feature which was not in my original plan for the app on iOS, but I started building and realized a lot of potential for was the scratch pad, which is essentially a text parser that reads contact information out of any old block of text that you either type in or copy or use the extension to grab like an email signature or contact information on a web page and just parses that out into a contact. Well, that feature turned out to be one of the most popular aspects of the app on iOS. And I wanted an opportunity to do some more stuff on the Mac. And again, like you you mentioned earlier, I test some things out in other apps before I bring them to drafts because I don't want to mess with the, the big user base without testing something first. Same kind of deal. I've been thinking about bringing drafts to the Mac for some time, and I wanted to get my feet into the Mac marketplace again, learn some of the ins and outs, uh, and make sure I do it right if and when I do it. Um, so it was a good opportunity to shave off that feature, which I had gotten a lot of requests for and put this little contact parser on, on the Mac. And it's, it's uh-huh. done surprisingly well. I, 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 didn't expect it to be a huge app. It's just a little utility that's just in your menu bar, but, uh, it's, it's found a following and, uh, and, uh, I've got a lot of great feedback
0: about it. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's just a little uh, menu bar app, like you said, where you can enter plain text for a contact, and then it creates a contact, right?
1: Yeah, or you can yeah. add values to other contacts, uh, uh-huh. existing ones and stuff. But it's it's just a, you know, there's a lot of nice tools on the Mac and stuff that, you know, where mail say says identifies contact information in an email and lets you create a contact from it. But there's just a lot of times you want to tweak that or do arbitrary text grabs, uh, and stuff. And it's just a handy thing to have around for people who work with contacts a lot.
0: Yeah. I also want to, um, reiterate what you said earlier about the previous address book framework. That was terrible. It was really not fun to really yeah. not a fun uh, thing to use. Well,
1: it turns out the contacts framework is not that much fun to use either. Uh, which is probably why I haven't done more with interact on, on iOS just cause, uh, it's been a very buggy platform. Because ultimately, it's a, it's a, a thin wrapper on top of those same C-level mm-hmm. uh, address book things that have been around forever. They didn't dispense with those and build a real new contacts framework. They just built another layer that's a little easier to work with programmatically, but it's still subject to a lot of bugs and weird interactions with different types of contact accounts and stuff.
0: Yeah. My my main issue when I'd worked with the address book before uh, had less to do with bugs and just that there was a lot of things in the address book framework because of the way you have to talk about uh, contact information and whatever that was just kind of weird to deal with. Right. right. Just because there was a lot of con, there were like a lot of, uh, you know, types and things in there that just didn't, ex- don't exist anywhere else. And they were sort of address book specific things. I always found that kind of strange.
1: Yeah. There's this Buku list of weird constants that uh address different fields, and there's no actual properties on objects that make it easier to know what you're setting or if you set it right for that matter
0: um, absolutely uh so making your uh making your first mac app is this your first mac app i th- I thought you said it was
1: it's the first it's the first yeah. one I shipped i mean I did uh, like I said I did do one back in the pre os ten days I had a game out, but um this is the only recent thing I've actually shipped. I've done things, but not uh, for public consumption.
0: So the thing I wanted to ask you is this, you know, this is a pretty small app, right? But, um, you know, like UI wise. But uh, looking at it, like, what do you, what what were your, uh, what, what did you think was interesting going from, uh, you know, UI kit to app kit and the, uh, you know, Cocoa Touch to Cocoa?
1: Um, it's clear that, in the design and creation of UI kit, they learned their lessons from app There's a lot of weird, dark corners and, uh, buggy behaviors or things that don't, aren't as well thought out and coherent in app as the UI kit. Does that make sense?
0: Um, oh, absolutely.
1: There's just. They've done a great job in the intervening years of merging a lot of you know the lower level frameworks between the platforms are pretty well compatible. There's still little niggles here and there where you need to do some uh, <laughs> compiler directives and stuff, but uh, it's surprising how consistent they are on a lot of levels. But just the UI level stuff, it's just a different metaphor to design for it too. You've really got to. You know, obviously I'm a Mac user. I know what a good Mac app is like, but your thought process in designing and putting together the pieces is is quite different with menus and multiple windows and and things you don't have to deal with on iOS.
0: Yeah, it's 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 kind of a different thing. I sort of like AppKit, but it's been a I guess it's been a while since I've made a Mac app though. So mostly iOS the last two or three years.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's no different than my early days of iOS programming where where you're constantly hitting that well how do i do this thing and having to go figure that out um and having to dig through the three wrong ways to do it you find it on, find on stack overflow first and then uh, realize the right way eventually
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um so we've talked about, you know, all these different things that you've done, uh, different apps you've made. And what I want to ask you about uh, now is that you got a new iPad yesterday. How do you like it?
1: Uh, so far, I love it. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've i always loved the iPad. You know, I bought the first one that, when it came out, and, and I used the iPad a tremendous amount. But I was still using an iPad Air 1, which mm-hmm. was becoming extremely painful to use for uh, anything really functional, just because of the memory limitations, you know, surfing the web and the constant reloading in Safari. And it all made it kind of frustrating to use for a lot of things. It was still great for reading. It was great for games and Twitter and stuff. And it's pretty much my couch computer. And I was ready to upgrade when the first iPad Pro came out. I was ready to plunk down my money and get it and they came out with a 12.9 and I just I couldn't deal with that size <laughs> I, I you know I held it in my hand and I'm sure it was still would have been nice but it just wasn't right so I'm like I'm gonna wait till they put out and then they put out the 9.7 and at the time it just wasn't a good time for me to buy one when that came out so I waited a while longer and I'm really excited to finally upgrade again and, and have one with a pencil and this incredible screen the true tone and the refresh rate are really obvious improvements that I think everyone will notice and appreciate.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm still on, I'm on an iPad air two, And I guess I'm trying to decide if I can, if I can hold off another year or if, uh, I'm going to get a 10.5. The 10.5 is pretty tempting though. I, uh, I think the, uh, higher frame rate is, is, is a good idea. I think it's, I think it's good that they're doing that. They're pushing that. Because we've been at sixty right for so long, yeah now.
1: well, I also the air the air two can at least do split view and do it reasonably well. the air one you couldn't do split view. you could do the pullover from the side, um, but you couldn't actually persist two apps. I guess, uh-huh. I guess just because of the memory limitations. But the performance of the pullover was so slow that I actually ended up disabling it on mine because I would accidentally trigger it sometimes and just have to sit there for five seconds watching my iPad churn away, trying to build the list of apps or, <laughs> or whatever. So I ended up turning it off completely so I didn't accidentally trigger it because uh, it was so slow. So it's great to be able to do that stuff. And once I, I will probably put iOS 11 on this come beta two or beta three. Um, but I have a a two week road trip coming up and I prefer not to be on betas while I'm traveling.
0: So (laughs) that's a good call. Um, not, not first betas anyway. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I've only gotten burned by a, uh, by a beta one time it was snow leopard and it was, well, it was sort of our fault in that I was working for a company and we made an app called uh, Air Display at that time, which was a thing for turning your uh, iPad into an extra monitor for your computer. Is one of those, and uh, when Snow Leopard came out, the way that we did it is we had a kernel extension to create a uh, like a like a virtual display on the um, you know on the Mac that you're running the server on. Mm-hmm. And uh, our kernel extension in the first beta, I, I went to WWC that year and I installed the first beta at at there. I didn't back up or anything, so I'm an idiot. And uh, I guess the interaction of our kernel extension and the uh, and uh, and and that beta of Snow Leopard, which I did not I did not know this was why it was happening, uh, broke every layer backed view in the system. Yikes yeah so it made it a little hard to use uh it basically just broke everything like nothing worked at all, and I had to you know reinstall from fresh and it was terrible yeah so i'm I'm a little bit more wary about installing first betas on like my actual machine now than I was then
1: yeah i usually well i've usually with i o s over the summer um i I go to the betas pretty quickly, but usually not till after summer vacation or or whatever uh because I'm usually working on stuff on the new features, you know, especially with an app like Drafts, that t- tends to take advantage of the newest and latest technologies. I'm you know, i going to be building for that over the course of the summer. Mm-hmm. And I've always done my iPad first because I could live with that going down if it had to go down, you know, um, more so than my phone.
0: Yeah, me too. I uh, I, I usually always install, like, one of the... One of the betas I usually always install on an iPad because it's kind of a secondary device for me, like you said. So it's not like a big, like I use it, you know, pretty regularly, but it's not like a big deal for me if mm-hmm. something doesn't work right for a little while. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we're talking about the new hardware, but I think, you know, the thing I'm reading about and, you know, people are saying is that the new hardware with uh, this is really only half the story, Right. And that the big thing is iOS 11 on the iPad, right? With all the new productivity stuff they're adding, and that that's where this new, uh, you know, hardware is really going to shine. Um, and we were talking about the betas and all that. But I guess what I want to say is, like, you know, as somebody who's you know been around a while, you know, doing iOS apps since the beginning, what has it been like to see, you know, to see iOS mature? What do you see the, you know, how? What do you? What have you seen the trajectory of that be to you?
1: Um. It is, overall, as a consumer and a user of these devices, it's super exciting every year when they come out with new features and capabilities and the hardware gets better and the software gets better. And I'm all on board with that. As a developer, from the business end of it, I mean, obviously, people talk about how hard it is to make money in the app store these days and stuff. But with the maturing platform, obviously, people like me, are getting squeezed out by a lot of competition, um, a lot of alternatives. You know, it's not like 2010 where you could come out with a relatively simple app that served some novel functional need and sell a reasonable number of them. Because at this point, there's probably already 20 or 30 apps that do that thing, whatever your idea is, and actually bringing to market a functionally complete app not not a game but in the you know utility productivity type of space is a lot harder than it used to be i mean the maturing platform means there's a whole lot more different apis you're expected to you know you need to have widgets you need to have uh you know extensions you need to have all these different pieces that add to the complexity of of shipping an app and the price point hasn't changed to reflect that so You know it's it's a mixed mixed blessing there's not anything it's not like i want us to go back to 2010 and not be able to do these things with our device or anything Uh, it's just that it it is a bit of a two-edged sword at times i mean you can look at it as the ladder metaphor right when when the sdk first came out you know on iphone os 2 you had to climb one one step of the ladder to get an app that was interesting to people but we're now at the point that you've got to climb 20 steps of that ladder to get to a point where a shipping app is functional and interesting and providing something new to people, which is a lot more investment in development resources and time. And uh, so there's, there's part of me that wishes it were still so simple, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that you could spend a month on an app and ship something that was useful uh, and interesting those days are gone.
0: Yeah. Times have definitely changed. I mean, that, that app I mentioned to you, uh, you know, the, um, the display app, you know, that, that was, uh, that was like our main thing for a little while. And we employed 10 people just making this display app basically, Mm -hmm. uh, for a while. Um, you know, so I think that would probably be a more difficult thing to do in 2017, coming out with something like that now. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that that all makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think they've, you know, they've made some movements into the direction to try and help, uh, you know, people like you, uh, you know, or people, you know, doing their own apps, uh, which is, um, you know, like with the subscription pricing and things like that, right? Yeah, I, I
1: think changes come with time and, and everybody's kind of experimenting with different things and finding what's right for their apps to be sustainable. And, you know, additional options are great. The changes they're making to the app store for iOS 11 look great and are, you know, much needed, uh, kind of freshen up that space and, uh, make it more interesting for people to visit and consider downloading and buying apps. Um, cause I think there's a lot of app fatigue as part of it too. I mean, I, I, as part of what I do, I'm always asking people about how they use their phones and, and stuff. And you really, you don't get from people the, the. I mean, you used to have people come up to you and, and tell you about this exciting new app they downloaded, right, you don't really get that much anymore. Um, and a lot of people, I think if you ask, other than games, they probably haven't downloaded too many apps on their you know their phones in the past six months. That maybe one for a brand, or, you know, or uh, uh-huh. something. But uh, they don't—they're a little fatigued and overwhelmed by it, and they don't go out and look for those things. Or maybe it's to the point that the platform's so mature that the built-in tools serve most of their needs, and they don't need to go find a better calculator or a better notes app or or whatever. They're just happy with what Apple provides.
0: Well, I think that's absolutely true as well, right? Like, the Notes app's a great example, where, like, I feel like two, three years ago, at, at some point, Notes got a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a few years ago, uh, you know, it wasn't really usable if you were had a lot of Notes or you wanted to do interesting things with them, and you probably needed to use, you know, either some kind of Dropbox-based thing or something, uh, you know, like Evernote or whatever. You know, and now I feel like, you know, the Notes app is pretty good. You know, it does most of what most people need. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But it's, but it the changes at the App Store do what they promise, and there's more editorial content, and there's things like articles that say, hey, here's how you can get this done with your phone uh, that you didn't know you could do with your phone, and here's the apps you need to do it. That sort of stuff uh, helps, I think, people yeah. like me who make quality apps that do functional things. I think it'll flatten the app store to an extent that there's going to be less visibility in terms of pure number of apps getting featured in the app store. Because mm-hmm. it's not just going to be a row of icons everywhere you look. But the quality of those features is going to be a lot better. Um, and, I, and that, I think, can pay off and help encouraging people to use their phones more, more different ways.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, I guess they still have to go to the App Store, but once they get there, uh, you know, hopefully Apple can help guide them to things that they may not have found otherwise. Um, so speaking about this, so what are there any features in, you know, besides just generally like discovery and stuff, are there any changes that you're especially excited about uh, with the App Store stuff?
1: Um I haven't spent enough time with it to get into nitty-gritty. I mean, a lot of stuff they've been phasing in, stuff like uh, responding to reviews is is a, a nice change. Uh, being able to feature in-app purchases will be a nice uh, nice change. Um, you know, it, it just kind of reduces the friction for users to go and, and buy something for your app or whatever. Um, so I think those are all good things. Mm -hmm. And then there's never prior to responding to reviews, we've never had a channel to have any direct communication with uh, customers via the app store. So that's, you know, it's good stuff. Uh, I think it will make a difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I'm most excited about uh, with the app store changes, it seems like they have really you can still get to a top list. Right. But it seems like they've really buried that a little bit. Right.
1: And I think the gross, the top grossing is gone now. Like there's still a top paid and free, but no gross top grossing, which is good because all it it was a a static list. You know, it was Netflix and uh, the big games and uh, nothing else. So why keep showing that if it never changes, I guess.
0: Yeah, and top grossing always seemed like, it seems like kind of, it was cool when they announced it because it was, uh, you know, for us it was cool, I think, but it always seemed like kind of a strange thing to have in there, like for, you know, like, it's hard to imagine just like a, a normal user who doesn't, you know, isn't selling an app on the app store, like why they'd want to see that.
1: hmm Well, and once it just became dominated by in-app consumable game purchases, um, it really became embarrassing, if anything, to, to keep That's showing true. that, yeah. I think. Um.
0: Yeah. And then, so, you know, we're talking about, so then talking about uh, the, um, you know, the new uh, the new iOS 11 stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of new features and things in there that I think will be really useful for a, uh, you know, for a productivity app such as yours, Um what have you gotten a chance to look at things like you know drag and drop and the files api and all of that what do you what do you think of that stuff
1: um i think it's all all good stuff all you know good directions i think the drag and drop stuff looks amazing i'm i haven't actually coded it up yet but the i was worried when those features came that they would not be very ubiquitous that you know every app would have to do something to adopt them and then users wouldn't use them because they'd get a lot of unpredictability. You know, can I drag this to this app? I don't know. Maybe I can, maybe I can. And then it would fail a few times and they'd stop using it. But the fact that they've built it so elegantly into a lot of the stock controls uh, that you get for free means that the apps that update to take advantage of it are going to be, have a much better experience, but, you, you know you're still going to be able to drop some text into a UI text view anywhere uh, without those developers having to do anything, which is great, you know, which makes it ubiquitous, which makes it something that uh, will be more broadly adopted and used. I have a lot of mixed feelings about the files thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I mean, really, what they've provided builds on the document provider stuff they already had. Um, the files app is really. It's like the iCloud Drive app, but with the other document providers visible in it, um, which is great. And I know that there's a lot of applications that that's very useful for, um, but I, I, and for a lot of pro features that's that's needed and is a great addition. I think that there's a lot of people who don't want to deal with files though. So I, I worry about that becoming too predominant uh, a metaphor on iOS.
0: Yeah. So you you still think that the, uh, you know, maybe the idea of hiding the file system from the average user was not a, not something we should give up on just because they haven't nailed it yet necessarily.
1: Right. I mean, no, most people don't want to deal with files. And if you're dealing with In pro work, you're going to be dealing with stuff where you have a disparity of assets that you generate from different programs that you need to assemble and and use in different places. And you have to have something like a file system. And it totally makes sense. And it's great that it's going to be there for those types of applications. Um, But I don't think every app needs to suddenly become a file document-based app. And I think that would be backwards looking uh, and not good for the platform if it was adopted it in that way.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it will be though. I think that it was more of an acknowledgement that there are, you know, a large category of like pro apps and things like that, which do sort of need to be able to deal with files, you know, and files from different places and whatever. But I, my hope is that, you know, like, you know, what you said, like for most things, people will just be dealing with their apps like they always have. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's great. That's a good addition.
0: Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's all I have on my list today uh, to talk about. But do you have any final thoughts?
1: Uh, no, not really. It's been an enjoyable conversation. Glad we did it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show. And uh, maybe tell people how they can find you.
1: Um, I'm Agile Tortoise on Twitter, and you can find all my apps at AgileTortoise.com. So pretty easy to remember.
0: Excellent. And uh, if you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can do so at Colin Donnell. You can follow The Run Loop at The Run Loop. And if you would uh, like to support the show on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash Colin Donnell. Greg, thank you very much again for coming on and have a great rest of your day. Thanks.